0: Welcome to the War Room. Today we have on Lawrence Friedman, but first I'm just going to keep asking and as you guys keep giving five star reviews really, really helps the show out. We're trying to grow this to the next level and we need you to do that. So five star review, wherever you may be in the world um, we get them through a service we use to see them so thank you. We appreciate it. Share the show if you're so inclined. Okay, today we talk with Lawrence Friedman, who was the professor of War Studies at King's College from 1982 to 2014 and the vice principal of the college from 2002 to 2013. He was the official historian of the Falklands Campaign and a member of the UK, UK Inquiry into the Iraq War. He's offered multiple books. Uh, this one today is Command: The Politics of Military Operations from Korea, to Ukraine Now, this is out, I think, in some parts of the world. Um, I'm not sure if it's out everywhere. We recorded this back in July, but I think it comes out um, depending on where you're at. It's coming out soon or already out, so be sure just to check it out on Amazon, which we'll link to in the show notes at com. Okay, let's talk to Lawrence Friedman. Lawrence, it's good to have you on today. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. The show is called Inside the War Room, but we don't always talk about war, but today we're going to kind of talk about that topic, so I'm I'm kind of excited. Let's talk about the book you've got coming out, um, Command, the Politics of Military Operations from Korea to Ukraine, and it's that from Korea to Ukraine that caught my attention. Why that period of time?
1: Well, it started off as wanting to write a book about command, um, and I wanted to look quite hard at particular command decisions rather than doing something very theoretical or using lots of sort of random examples. Um, I also have quite a strong feeling that um, there are still lots of books being written about the world wars and extraordinary how much people find to write about, um, uh, how good many of them are, but not that much is written about post-1945 military conflicts. Uh, which is always what I've worked on. I've always largely worked on post forty-five. Um, so I just uh, the book started with me just with me uh, just looking for interesting examples, not just from the US and UK, though they inevitably figure, but also uh, uh, other countries like France in, in uh, Indochina and Algeria. Uh, uh, or uh, Israel, particularly the 1973 war, or Indo-Pakistan War of 71, um, or even sort of more surprising, I suspect, uh, uh, episodes to people like um, uh, Che Guevara in the Congo in the mid 60s. So uh, I'd already decided on that. Ukraine, uh, I wanted to, uh, I, I had a chapter on, uh, because I'd already written quite a bit about 2014, Um, And I was interested to use Ukraine as an example of um, the the problems in coordinating irregular forces in uh, in pursuit of rather unclear political objectives, which was what had happened in 14. And then almost as I finished the book, this war, the new war started, and um, I I was able to and the, and the publishers were allowed me to 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 include quite a chunk, which built on what I'd already written, uh, but obviously brought it up reasonably up uh, to date uh, to include uh, what uh, what the, 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 this current war has revealed about command, both at the highest political level and um, operationally.
0: Okay, and so what is defined command for us and what's political about it well,
1: uh, command is uh, authoritative orders um, that is that uh, they the, uh, uh, it's a requirement from in a hierarchical system that uh, a subordinate does something it, it's the way that is organized and uh, but because it's part of a of a hierarchy, it means that any disobedience of these orders or challenge to these orders, in principle, can challenge the hierarchy, and can ch- is a challenge to the wider authority, which is why an awful lot of time is spent, uh, at least in the West, but also to a degree elsewhere, trying to work out what latitude you can give subordinates to interpret. Their orders in terms of mission command and, and that sort of thing. Um, the point about it being political is first, um, strictly speaking, in, in a good Klausowitzian sense, um, all operations should be political because they should be infused with the political purpose. Uh, but also because in practice, most operations involve working out your relations with particular, uh, with, with um, uh, other branches uh, of your own service, with other services, with allies, uh, managing the relationship between the political leadership and uh, 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 the general staff, uh, and so on and so forth. So I think every time somebody writes about modern command, at least, they're writing about how political it turned out to be. And so it's a way, it's a challenge to the sort of notion that uh, the politicians decide on objectives and the, and the generals decide on on the operations uh, and that really both should stay out of each other's way. Uh, it doesn't in practice work, work like that. The, the politicians need to be advised on what objectives are feasible, um, the, but they also have a right to, to know what exactly it is that the generals are doing in pursuit, especially if they're not succeeding or if in the the pursuit they may trigger something uh different to what was originally intended so it, 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 it's also just a, a challenge to this sort of simple idea the the, the of a, of a of civil military relations by which the civilians do the politics and the military do the operations
0: well and, that, and that's a um, something that, that that you hear especially in you know from the us perspective um, you know, in Vietnam or Iraq. Well, if the if the pol- if the political elite would have had the stomach for it, we could have done this, this or that. Yeah. And and you wonder as a, as a civilian, you wonder, well, well, maybe the politicians were right to not have the stomach for it, or maybe they were wrong. You you don't know who. H- how do you, as a historian, balance who was right and who was wrong in these various scenarios?
1: It a, it, it's a good question because. Um, I mean, a lot of the book is, you know, going through some quite big tussles between um, generals and politicians. Actually, what's quite interesting is a lot of the tussles are between the national capital and the field. Um, I mean, a good example of one of the longer case studies is Nixon and the 1972 Easter Offensive. and um, so, a, a lot of the, uh, and to say who was right or wrong in this is, is quite difficult because Nixon got made some calls that, that were correct. Um, yeah, in, in, in other aspects, he just didn't understand what the problem General Abrams was facing uh, uh, in, in Saigon. Um, but it, 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 the, this isn't unusual that you find. Um, quite a rapport developing between those in Washington, say, uh, or in London, fighting the war uh, uh, at at the sort of broad strategic level and those on the ground. So you can see it in the Falklands. You can see it um, with Kosovo. Um, It's quite quite a familiar thing. Uh, And as I said, it's it's difficult often to know uh, who's right and wrong because everybody's dealing with the situation so from their perspective, you can understand why they're taking the position they do and why it contradicts um, uh, the, the other's perspective. In the end, of course, what matters is do you win or not? Uh, that, that's the best test. So, I mean, one of the things I cite in the book is the um, conversation I actually had in my, my office um, with, with the commanders, of the Falklands uh, operation, um, who who'd had an argument quite early on uh, as the task force was being sent to the South Atlantic. Um, and, and, they, and they never really reconciled since um, about who was right and who was wrong uh, in that argument. But in the middle of repeating this argument in front of me, uh, one of them, Julian Thompson said to, Admiral Woodward, but Sandy, we won, you know, in a sense, trying to put in perspective. And again, one of the things you notice is just how bitter the arguments often are at the the highest levels, even amongst the generals and the admirals, because so much is at stake. Um, But just mean to say they don't act professionally, it's just, you know, everybody is aware of the problems they face uh, and how other people's attempts to solve their problems make theirs worse.
0: And then there's also, and I'm not sure if the book, if you, you got to this as well, but there's also, there's the internal politics between the, you know, the, the capital, whoever's yeah. in there, and, and, the, and, the, um, and the, the military. But There's also this international political battle that goes on as well, which weighs on, you know, how these politicians and generals are talking.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, 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 um, the alliance dimension, or the client dimension, is, is, is incredibly important. Um, so this obviously became an issue with Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, you can see it in a very different form in Ukraine. Uh, uh, so w- one of the, the the issues which is often raised, when these, especially when these are called proxy wars, is actually who's acting as agent of whom. Um, uh, because if you're insensitive to the needs of your allies, especially when they're doing the fighting often uh, and you're providing say the air power, um, then things can go badly wrong. So again, one of the examples used in the book is the battle for Tora Bora in in late 2001, where uh, because the US had done pretty well relying on the Northern Alliance, which had its own reasons for defeating the Taliban um, in pushing the Taliban out, uh, the Northern Alliance didn't come with them to Tora Bora. And the one, the so-called Eastern Alliance that was put together for, for that particular battle couldn't quite see what, why they were doing the fighting for the Americans. Um, and uh, the Americans didn't turn up with enough forces of their own. And eventually uh, Osama bin Laden escaped. So I think these sort of tensions between um, the, like the indigenous fighting fighters and the uh, outside interveners um, are often really quite uh, quite profound, even when they have this apparently the same objectives.
0: I'm glad you brought that example up. I was going to use a a World War II example just to kind of make the illustration, but that's a good one. Um, I'm often torn when I study, um, as as nowhere near a historian, but I read a book about a battle or a fight. And and sometimes the historian or the person in the battle maybe will make a comment that, well, we really didn't need to fight this battle, um, but the generals, um, at the time weren't concerned about this, that, and the other. Um, and so you, you, as a reader, you're, you're stuck going, okay, what was the thought process, and how do you go back and recreate that? So, you talk about the Dora Bora. Which is a great example um how do you go back and because in hindsight it's quite clear that we should have you know tripled the effort or, or whatever but but in the moment how do you try to um represent what everyone was thinking because it, it's 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 not as i'm sure it's not that clear to do
1: it's not but it, i mean it's amazing what you can find out these days um one of the factors in choosing my examples. Was to make sure I had sufficient detail on the decision making to have a reasonable stab at, at, at replicating those decisions. Um, so even you know, uh, and, you know, so someone like Che Guevara, for example, kept a diary. Um, uh, we have extraordinary detail on Saddam Hussein's decision making because of stuff that was taken by the Americans in 2003 um, uh, which have now all been translated and, and are available um, with you know Nixon's decision making you you've got uh, uh, again plenty of, of, of archival material so uh, I I've all I've, I've only gone for, for case studies where I think I, I uh, memoirs archives whatever enable me to Make a reasonable uh, judgment, and it and it is and it is always interesting going back to how you 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 started your point um, the, that often it isn't well understood at the front why they're supposed to get a particular objective, um, and one reason for that is because if you're actually fighting the battle, you may have very little idea about the diplomacy. So a big factor. In, um, in, in a lot of the decisions that I was looking at was pressure for a ceasefire. Um, be, uh, uh, and I'd argue that's what's happening in Ukraine at the moment. The, 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 you know, the Ukrainians need to show progress. Otherwise, they'll come under pressure for a ceasefire uh, before they think it is justified. You can see it in Israel's wars. You can see it in the Indo-Pakistan war in 71. Uh, you can see it in the Falklands. Um, it, it, it's all—it's always a big fact. Now, the—you um, know—if you're being asked to divert from what you you think is a is a very doable operation into something that, that that's quite difficult and risky, uh, it's not surprising. You, you you may think that the generals have taken leave of their senses, but that doesn't mean to say there isn't a good reason for doing so. How
0: often is it that these battles are won and lost? on a decision versus it's really the other side had the numbers, the man um, or the machinery. Um, is, is it really that tactical or is it often one side's usually outgunned?
1: Um, it varies because, um, you know, So in some conflicts, once it gets going, there's, there's not really much doubt. I mean, it was never that much in doubt either in, um, 1991 or 2003 that the U.S. would defeat Iraq conventionally. it would have taken quite an extraordinary effort to lose uh, those and Saddam was thinking at least in the first in 1991 was delusional though no, he in fact claimed victory because just because of the fact that he survived which is the other thing you can do of course is is re-describe the meaning of victory but in other battles um, the tactics really make a difference. Um, that, the, the, um, you know, the, in the close-run things, say the, the October War, um, or um, why don't you take the October War? Um, you know, the, the, the Israelis were on the back foot uh, because of the initial offensive. They struggled to get a grip um, with the Syrians, but were doing so. Uh, if, Sadat, if Sadat had not been persuaded by the Syrians to push on further against the Israelis, he would have been very difficult to dislodge from the, the, the positions that the Egyptian army had taken um, on, on, um, on the Sinai side of the, uh, of the Suez Canal but he got persuaded, allowed his forces to get overextended. And the Israelis, as soon as they saw uh, that that was happening, knew they had an opportunity to turn the war, that part of the war around and took it. So um, it, it's not very difficult, I guess. The closer the war, the, the, um, uh, the more ta- in the particular tactics and uh, operational mouse matters.
0: Is there a common thread between the winners and the losers in your book? Obviously you mentioned U.S. and Iraq was well, a little bit different. There's two extremes, but, but on the ones that were closer on the margin, is there a common thread between them?
1: One of the interesting questions that, that emerged, it wasn't particularly what I posed to myself at the start, was a difference between dictatorships or autocracies and, um, Democracies—it's not—it's not that democracies always get these right, but autocracies have a habit of getting them wrong, and particularly those that are more personalised dictatorships, where the um, uh, where generals are chosen for loyalty as much as professional competence. I think that uh, strikes you um, for it. I mean, whether one's looking—I don't know—at um, uh, uh, General Tew in, in Vietnam, uh, President Chu in Vietnam, or Saddam Hussein, or Mabutu in, in the Congo, um, every time you, you see loyalty dominating um, the, the, the choice of senior officers, y- you can assume that trouble will ensue. Um, and eventually, you know, they often have to be replaced. So that's quite a, a surprisingly common feature. So North Vietnam, which was obviously a dictatorship, didn't actually have that sort of problem um, be, uh, uh, because um, the party was dominant rather than a particular individual.
0: You mentioned at the start that this period of history from a military um, standpoint, warfare standpoint, is not really covered a lot, Um, why is that?
1: I don't know, I think it's it's bitty. I mean, you don't have the sort of the the full drama of these sort of global titanic struggles between between great powers. Um, A lot of them are obviously, obviously don't involve many battles even, Uh, they're they're sort of grinding insurgencies, But, but it's surprising how many battles have taken place um uh so it's not that there isn't any literature on these topics i mean there's quite you know a decent literature on MBM food for example uh or the october war or the falklands um but if you just look at the sheer number of books that come out every year on the on the second world war even the first um and you think just how much military activity there's been over the um, last 75 years or so it is surprising to me still um, that the, 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 this period hasn't acquired more attention, not least because it helps explain many of the conflicts which we, uh, are st- with which we're still dealing. So it's, you know, even something like looking at the Korean War in 1950 um, helps explain the origins of something that, that's still a very live and dangerous uh, international issue.
0: Yeah, I've wondered how much, um, from the U.S. perspective, there's been kind of a—I um, don't know—buyer's remorse is the is the right way to describe it. But how World War II ended, and kind of how the U.S. handled um, their partnership with Russia, uh, and then of course we we, we brought over a, a bunch of German scientists, um, and they kind of helped with NASA, and so and then you have all these wars and people are dying, and this would be a—I'm not. I don't have a stance on how the US should have done it, but but the way that they did do it, it kind of led to these a lot of these conflicts, these proxy wars, as we said. Um, and so I've wondered from the US perspective, it's just kind of a it's almost a black eye, this this period, because a lot of this stuff theoretically could have been prevented if you'd done stuff differently. Maybe not. I don't know if you have an opinion on that. Yeah, I, I mean I
1: think um, there's something satisfactory about The Second World War, it it was a just war. The the enemies were really awful um, and they were beaten. um, And it had a clear end. Um, And though there have been successes uh, Um, post-45. One of my examples is the missile crisis. Arguably, Kosovo um, achieved its objectives uh, and so on. But I don't think these conflicts feel quite as satisfactory as the Second World War. They're they're morally more more complex. Interestingly, you can see it also on the Russian side. I mean, they're they're so dominated by the sort of great patriotic war and and what it meant for Russia, that it's clearly very difficult for them to think beyond it uh, and to look at the other military experiences Russia has had, which haven't, again, been anything near quite as satisfactory Uh, as as beating the Nazis. So they interpret everything that's going on in Ukraine within that framework. So um, post-45 conflicts have been messier, um, more morally complicated, often. Um, And I think that 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 does influence the enthusiasm with which they're examined.
0: Yeah, and just one other thing you you brought up there is, um, you know, if you think about normandy invasion it's hard to imagine having that recreated today with satellites and planes and drones and so there's a sense in which i don't know if we or think about it on the uh, regularly but it's maybe ingrained in us that we might never see and i don't think we want to see that again but we might never see that type of warfare and it only rose up for this short period of time Um, and so i've wondered how much that plays into the background like you know could you you couldn't really pull off a pearl harbor today and so it's almost maybe it's a a forgotten time in history. Where, not forgotten time, but a time in history. The other thing that you've, you've talked about is the, the the amount of books that's written. And, and I think um, in this era, there's a lot of books that, that are going to be written because the only thing I can ever uh, attest to is, uh, I, I, I used to work in, uh, I still do, but um, more heavily in the oil and gas industry. And Gregory Zuckerman wrote a book called The Frackers. And reading that book, I was working for one of the companies that's in the book. And so I was kind of like you know an insignificant nobody didn't understand why they were writing, why they were doing the things they were doing. And then his book comes along. It's like, Oh, well, that answers a lot of questions that a lot of us had. And so mm-hmm. you talk about world war II. Well, there's a lot of characters from world war too. There's a lot of characters that haven't been developed in history from these periods. And so I assume that not only, um, not only the individual, um, um, battles, we, there's probably more to unpack, but there's probably characters that kind of that span, uh, decades that, that are in here that, um, that historians will be examining as we go down the, the you know the next 10 20 years
1: yeah I, I think that's true um, you know there are I mean you know, some of the characters that, that appear in my book like MacArthur um, who obviously span, goes, goes back into World War two I mean there's been a lot written about him and uh, some intriguing characters still stuff being written about him uh, Uh, Arik Sharon interested me a lot he gets a chapter with the Arab-Israeli wars uh, and he you know was involved um, in all of Israeli military activity from the war of independence on so how they develop whether the character traits they show in one war influence the conduct of the next is 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 always an interesting issue and of course you know most of the American and senior military leadership um, uh, was influenced by Vietnam. Um, So I I think these continuities are are quite important. Um, And again, if you you just do sort of short snippets on a war, you you, you don't quite get a chance to see how the characters, the personality of of those involved make, um, make a difference. Uh, personality is very important
0: in, in the conduct of the work. Okay, I always like to ask this question if I can. Um, I think this book, according to Amazon, is going to be 592 pages. So that's a lot of that's a lot of labor of love. Um, take a quick victory lap on going through the process. Uh, that maybe something that you learned that you didn't expect to learn. Maybe something that you had to omit that you you know that was that you found interesting but wasn't good for the book.
1: Oh. I mean, this, this was sort of my pandemic book, so it, it was the, the book. Uh, I was able to make progress on it because I couldn't do much else. Um, it was actually, as with the, most of the stuff I write, um, it, 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 it it's most enjoyable and as an act of writing when you don't quite know what you're going to find. Um, I mean, some of the material, uh, uh, conflicts I studied like the Falklands and Iraq and, and Cuban Missile Crisis I've written about before and and know pretty well but a lot of the stuff like uh, you know the French in um, in Indochina and Algeria I didn't really know very well I knew a bit about it so it, it, it's a great way to find out about stuff and I think I always sort of feel with writing that it's a bit like sculpture you you never you know you're chipping away you never some people may have a very clear idea about what it's going to look like when they start, but I don't. I mean, it's, it's a voyage of discovery. It's changing my metaphor, um, and um, that's what keeps me going. Because if it's just a mechanical thing about uh, writing out stuff you've already worked out, I find it quite hard to maintain the enthusiasm. Uh, but when you're, you know, as you write, you learn. I think that keeps you going and um I found a you know a lot, it's full of stuff that I didn't expect to see um i found what I hadn't really appreciated for example, was the intensity of the um of, of the squabbling between individuals at the highest level with both say you know the u s with uh, in 1972, with, with Indochina, and then in in 2001, as Rumsfeld um, and Franks tried to sort of keep control uh, uh, of how um, the, the Afghan campaign was going to be managed, I found—I I mean, I, I knew a bit about it, but but seeing the, the, just the the intensity of these bureaucratic battles that were taking place while you know they were trying to conduct a war was quite uh, quite intriguing.
0: Okay. Uh, last multi-part question here for you. Um, we'll link to the book at Amazon, uh, mm-hmm. anywhere else that you want to send people to. The, the book comes out officially in the U.S. Uh, on September, when I say 20, uh, 22nd, I believe is the date. Yeah, tw- uh, 29th, September 29th. So we'll link to that, um, link okay. to your Twitter. Where else do you want to send people to? And do you have a future project for us to be able to look for? I could
1: link to my sub stack, okay. uh, uh, which I will do. Uh, I'll send that to you. As well because that's uh, if anybody interested in ukraine that's basically what i've been writing on in it um so i'll send you the details of that other than that i'd be very grateful that sounds fantastic
0: okay we'll link to the substack we'll link to the book we'll link to all that this um again the book comes out in the us on september 29th so listeners be sure to pick it up in upcoming book project or not yet
1: no I, I've, <laughs> <laughs> a break. This, one, yeah, this one was pretty, pretty pretty uh draining so uh I'll, uh, i i am doing a lot on ukraine whether that will turn be turned into something i don't know a lot of people are going to write books about ukraine so okay. we'll
0: see well thank you for your time listeners be sure to check out the book and we'll talk to you real soon thanks very much Steve. good to talk to you okay join the conversation at the newsletter right slash newsletter is where you can hop in and be a part of the conversation and with that we'll talk real soon